Good morning, everyone. It is wonderful to see you all. And uh, for those that are watching online, I want to say, come to church. We, um, I, was, I was just reflecting on the, the privilege we have of being able to stream, but also the danger that there is of us becoming so used to the fact that we can just turn on the TV and watch it online and, and uh, not actually be present. And I do want to say that it is fundamental to the nature of the church for His people to be gathered together. It is, it is not, it is, uh, and under every circumstance that the church has faced through the generations, I feel like I'm going in and out again. Um, um, every situation we face, whether it's been wars or famines or plagues or whatever it is, the church has always found a way to gather together. And that's because Jesus said, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, I'm there in the midst of them. And that in my name is what we talk about when we worship together, when we sit under the preaching of the word, when we pray together and worship, when we break bread and when we fellowship together. And so this is me talking to you watching on screen. Sign up, come be a part of this. Um, I know there are limited places and so uh, not everyone can get in. We would love to have you come and be a part of this with us. So um, I'm carrying on this morning preaching on faith. As I started last week, um, chapter, Hebrews chapter 11, I did verses 1, 2, and 6, and today we're going to read from verse 8. And actually, a whole lot of what I'm going to be preached, uh, preaching about has actually already been um, sung about or spoken about this morning. When we, when we sing about this, um, when I stand on eternity's shore, and we cheer like, like, yay, what we're singing about is when we did. You realize that, eh? It's like, like, what community of people ever sings about, like, I can't wait until I'm dead, Lord. I, do you know what I mean? Like, I'm so excited about dying. I'm so excited. It's because we believe there is a life to come, um, as we'll read in this text now, that there's actually even a better country. I love life. I love being married. I love my wife. I love my children. I love playing sport. I love friendships. I love this life God has given us is extraordinary, but there's a better country still. And then something Wayne said about those that are gathered here, about not just being hearers of the word, but doers of the word. That faith actually is something that requires action on our part. It's not something passive. And uh, I read a great illustration about that this week, about somebody that went rappelling. You know what rappelling is, hey? It's where you kind of put yourself in that harness and you lean back off the mountain like this and you look down and you, and you give your life to Jesus again just in case like like Jesus, come into my heart. I just want to make sure that we're, in, you know, we're all good. And then you lean back off this thing, and it, and it, and you start. You actually have to push yourself back like this, and you repel with a rope. And uh, I tell you why it's a good illustration. I've I've done bungee jumping. I've never repelled actually, but you can't come back once you bungee jumped. You know, halfway after you've left, you can't say, you know what? Actually, I've changed my mind. Can I come back? Um, and you can't come back when you're parachuting. Once you're out the airplane, there's no like. Can I get my money back? Is it, where's the refund counter? It's like you're in it. But repelling, you can. And I think with faith, you can as well. I think when our faith is not genuine or when our faith is tested, we can. And the illustration was this. This guy had gone down the mountain and he looked up to see his friend now repelling, getting ready to repel. And he, was, he could see him shaking from the bottom. He could see how nervous he was. Eventually, he did lean into the rope like this. So, and took a few steps and went down. And he got to a part, though, where he couldn't easily get past. And so he actually pulled himself back up the rope. He refused to go down. And I think that's such a great picture of faith. Because faith is not just believing the rope will hold us. It's actually going. And it's not just starting the journey. It's finishing the journey. That's what faith is. That's when our faith is tested and proven to be true. It's when we get to the end of the journey. No matter what trials face us, we get to the end. Because our faith was true faith in God. 
And when I speak about faith today, I'm speaking about two kinds of faith. Well, actually, there's one kind, but in two applications. One is our saving faith. The faith that we put in Jesus Christ and we trust Him for our salvation. It's many people can say, I trust Jesus Christ. I've put my faith in Him. But the evidence that we've actually put our faith in Him is when the trials and the testing comes. It's when our faith is faces the, the furnace and we continue to hold on to Jesus and we don't start holding on to something else other than Jesus. But also the faith for our daily living. There's, a, there's a, almost a bridge that we cross of salvation, and that bridge is a bridge of faith. But after that, there's a path of faith as well that we need to stay on. That how we live our lives, how we, how we um, follow Jesus, how we um, treat our husband, our wife, or raise our children, or deal with our finances, those are aspects of faith that the principles apply to both. And so when I speak about it today, one part of you must be thinking of your salvation and enduring to the end, and the other part of you must be thinking of God at work in your life, in your, in your health, in your, in your relationships, in your finances, and so on and so forth. Amen. And so we're going to read, as I said, Hebrews 11, verse 8. I wish I could just, I was I'm talking to my kids about Abraham this week. Shame they get the, the, they get the testing of the preaching on them as we, as we go to school in the mornings or whatever. So I said to Hannah the other day, Hannah, do you know who Abraham is? She says, of course. And you know his story and all about him. Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham, she said. And uh, it's true that we are all the children of Abraham. And I wish I could tell you the story of, of how Abraham is, as, as Wayne said, the father of the faith. That his covenant was, his is not an old covenant. His is actually a covenant of grace. Because it says that because he believed God, he was counted as righteous. And so it was a, it was a precursor to the, 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 the new covenant that would come in Jesus Christ. And Abraham had Isaac, his son, which we know, and Isaac had Jacob, and Jacob's name was changed to Israel, and his 12 sons became the 12 tribes of Israel, and one of his sons went ahead to Egypt, and eventually, because of the famine, all the other sons went in as well, this numbering hundreds maybe, and over the next 400 years, they grew to be the millions, but they came under the slavery and the oppression of the Egyptians, and God raised up Moses as a deliverer that set them free from there and brought them out of there, and eventually Joshua would take over and lead what was the next generation of Israelites into the promised land, and they would take that land, and one of their kings, David, would eventually establish Jerusalem as a city of God, and his son would build the temple there, and there would be exiles and, and rescues and exiles and rescues. The temple would be burnt down. With, uh, the, the Israelites would come back with Zerubbabel, and under Ezra and Nehemiah would rebuild the temple and rebuild the wall, and it prepared us for the coming of Jesus into that very time. And so it starts with Abraham, but God's redemptive story is being written through history, and it continues to be written through us today. And so when we read about Abraham as the father of our faith, it's a reminder that we, his children, must follow in his steps as well. So you're ready to go. Uh, by faith, verse 8, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of that same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead, were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar 
having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. And if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had the opportunity to return. But as it is, they, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Verse 17, by faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. See, too often we think that faith is just in our minds agreeing with the promises of God. Like, like God says, I will rescue you. We agree with you, God. But you know that there is no noun form of the word for faith in Hebrew, only the verb, because faith is an action word. Faith is something that we do, something that we live out. And uh, uh, faith has to be active. And uh, that means that we obey when God speaks. Faith always comes first from God speaking and then our response to what he says. And the, the response that needs to come from us is we need to radically obey. And that's why this passage starts off by faith, Abraham obeyed. He didn't sit on his porch waiting for God to act. He didn't get his rocking chair in Ur and kind of sit there like this and go, okay, God, I can't wait to see what you're going to do. See, he, uh, he didn't continue with his own agenda or with his own plans. God had spoken and he radically responded to God. It says that he went out and it's so radical that he went out, it says, without even knowing where he was going. You see, when God speaks to us and calls us to something, he often doesn't give us the detail that we would like. We want to know like exactly what the steps are that we're going to follow. And God leaves, he gives us the promise, but the detail is somewhere out there. And the gap between the promise and the detailed steps are actually an invitation for us to come with radical trust and, and follow God. There's this uh, wonderful um, passage in Isaiah which speaks about um, somebody stepping out into the darkness. And um, it says that, um, what basically what it says is we need to put our hand into God's hand and let him lead us. And it says, if you light torches to make your own way, you're going to get what you deserve, which is to lie down in torment. See, the whole point of Christianity is to get our hands into God's and let Him lead us. And so as He speaks, we respond with radical obedience. And I believe that that's part of the faith life that God wants to release through us. Abraham didn't wait until his RA was fully paid up, his retirement annuity, before he stepped out. He, he didn't wait until he had a worship leader and a King's Kids teacher before he stepped out to go plant a church. I know so many people that, that, that feel a sense of God's call upon their life, and, and, and we, you know, it resonates within us as well. And we say, well, are you going to follow it? And they say, well, just as soon as my kids are grown up, when my kids are out of the home, then I'll do it. You know what happens? The kids end up out of the home, and they keep living the life that they were living before. Or somebody else says, you know what, when I get around, I've just got to get around this corner, and then I'll pursue the things of God for my life. But what's around the corner is another corner and another corner and another corner all the time. Friend, what has God said to you that you putting off until you get all your ducks in a row? Actually, the response God wants from you is what He's spoken is for you to respond immediately and radically to the thing that He has said. Do you know that the status quo is powerful in producing passivity in our faith? The status quo, the situation you're in becomes it becomes like a, an inertia that locks you in and stops you from doing what God has called you to do. Think about what Ur represented for Abraham. It was the familiar. It was his father's culture, his culture, his people. He knew what was going on. It was security. This was a land where, where he had a piece of land, more than likely. He had a home. He, had, he probably had some way of generating income. It was all there, and God was saying, I want you to leave all of that financial security behind and step out without knowing. Instead of having 
one little plot of land. God had promised him a whole nation that was going to be his. But he didn't understand yet all that was there, and so he had to step out from the security. He had to step out from stability. He had to step out into uncertainty instead of certainty. It says that he lived like a foreigner or an exile in the land. And I think there's a few of us who know what, we know what that means, hey? Because what he's saying is you're going to live like an expat, and you're not going to own your own home. You're going to rent it. It's gonna be, you're going to be in a tent, and it's going to be like at, at moment's notice I can call you. And we've seen even over this times situations change like this in people's lives. That's because of the circumstances around us. But we actually need to live ready for when God calls us to be able to do whatever he needs us to do. When Linda and I were living in, in South Africa, um, we heard a preach by Chris Vinod actually years and years ago when he was still young and we were still young. And he spoke about the fact that he um, rented his home and, and, and drove a really rubbish car, so that, but it was completely paid off so that whenever God called him to the nations, he'd be ready to go. And so Linda and I, for years and years, we lived in a rented home. I can remember my boss coming to me one time and saying, Hudson, buy a better car, because my car was paid off. I didn't owe them anything. At the moment God called me, I could say, thank you very much for the years here. I'm now going and doing what God has called me to do. We need to live free to be able to radically respond to what God has called us to. And once we know God has spoken, and there's a whole nother preach for knowing that he's spoken. But when you know that he has spoken, you need to respond radically to what he said. And not just because Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. And not just because it's a stupid idea to say no to the God who created the heavens and the earth, the sovereign king. But also because you have faith. You see, when God says, Rob, do this, I want to step into that because I have faith that he has a plan for me and my family. Uh, when we came to Dubai, I can remember walking on the beach praying about this decision. And I said, Lord, let this be a decision that our grandchildren say, I'm so glad, glad that grandpa moved to Dubai because it impacted our lives. Not just the generation of my children, but their children is impacted because this is a faith step, not just a step of obedience to God. Faith is active. Being active means that we get up even when the evidence knocks us down. And I love the story of Abraham and Sarah because their faith isn't like this rocket that just keeps going up and up and up like this. Their faith is like this. There's, there are two occasions in Genesis 17, 17 and 18 verse 12. They actually laughed when God came and told them the promises. Like, Phil, this is what I'm going to do for you. And then Phil hears it. He goes, <laughs> whatever. Like, that's crazy. That's never going to happen, you know. And that's what Abraham and Sarah did. Sarah was, was an old woman who was barren. Abraham was nearly 100 years old. And when God said, I'm going to give you a child, they laughed. They thought this was ridiculous. And, uh, and on another occasion, they, they ran out of patience. And so they decided to find a surrogate promise. Sometimes we do that. We, God's promised something. We go, like, I know that's what you've promised, but I'm, I'm willing to settle for this, Lord. I'll take this now rather than have to hold on for this. Or I'll, or I'll manufacture my own promise. Like, God, you've told me that you're going to give me influence, so I'll make it happen or whatever it is. And so we manufacture it. And so they took the, the, um, Hagar, um, Sarah's slave, and, and gave it to Abraham as a, as a kind of second wife. And, and he lay with her and had a, and a child called Ishmael. We're manufacturing. But Ishmael was not the promise. And, um, you know, one of the things I, I want to say, to because uh, I think this is so important, is that Sarah was a, a massive part of the story. It says in, in that text we read that, and by faith, Sarah received the power to conceive. It's amazing because Abraham had already shown that he could have children. He slept with Hagar. He was working fine. He has this, this strapping young son called Ishmael. 
Um, but he couldn't come into the promises that God had for him unless his wife also came alongside in faith for them to inherit the promises. And it, it kind of reminds me of uh, Genesis 1, 28, or 27 and 28, where it says that God makes this announcement or to, within the Godhead, let's make them in our image. Let's make mankind in our image. And then it says male and female, he made them. And then in verse 28, he goes on and he said, and it says the Lord spoke to them and told them to fill, to rule, and to subdue the earth, to have dominion over the earth. See, it's a mandate that's given for those that are married to the husband and the wife. For those that are not married, both men and women carry this mandate. God has given us a mandate to change the world around us. And so we all need to operate by faith. Sometimes what happens is one person in the family thinks the husband's He's carrying the faith, and the wife's kind of dragging behind like this. He can't walk into the promises of God unless you also operate in faith, and vice versa. Sometimes a wife is holding on to the promises of God over your life as a family and, and, and contending, and the husband, he's caught up in business or laziness or whatever it is, instead of in faith embracing the promises that God has for us. Um, lo- lastly, faith is tested. In verse 17, it says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. It's an amazing scripture, isn't it? First of all, that like at this point, you would think the testing is done. Don't you think? I mean, he's gone through, he's 100 years old and he's had a baby. Talk about a life-changing event. He's, he's moved from the country that he was in to another country. He's lived like an exile all of his life in a tent. Um, he's a foreign and alien in this land. And uh, finally, he gets this boy and God says, okay, won't you put him on the altar like this? I'd be tempted to say, well, this is obviously not God speaking because this, he's the promise, you know. And we have to ask ourselves, why is faith tested? Why does God bring testing of our faith? Peter answers it wonderfully in his first letter in chapter 1 and verse 6 and 7. He says, so be truly glad. That, that would be great if we could just stop there, eh? So be truly glad. There is wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Through, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. So our faith gets tested to show that it's real. Imagine yourself repelling down that rock face, and you come to this thing that you can't quite see here. What is it that's blocking me here? Is this the end of the road for me? Do I continue to trust, or do I haul myself back up again, and, and I decide I'm going to depend upon my works, or going to depend upon the strength of my arm, rather than leaning into God? Remember that definition that I gave last week from the Amplified Bible, that faith is the leaning of the entire personality in complete trust, and uh, the word he used there, Complete trust and absolute trust and confidence in his power, wisdom, and goodness. Faith is leaning of the entire human personality. It's like me getting to the point where I, I, I'm, I'm falling. I'm no longer able to go back to my own feet. In absolute trust and confidence in his power, wisdom. That means he sets the time. He decides how it happens and his goodness. We know that it's always for our good at the end of the day. And the danger is that we, we end up... Um, when the testing comes, we, we want to haul ourselves back again. We want to we give up on Jesus. When Jesus promised that he will take care of us, there's times when, when the furnace is being heated up like it was for the three Hebrew boys, or the, or the lions are being starved and ready for us to be thrown to them, or the prison doors are being closed like they were closed by Paul and Silas, or, 
or you're being betrayed by your friends, or the thing that you thought was going to take place is not taking place. And the temptation then is to say, actually, you know what? I'm going to depend upon myself. I'm not going to depend upon God. You begin to give up on the promises that God has spoken over you. And um, we need to continue to believe in Him. I said last week, there were um, two of the points I made. The number one, that faith is personal, because it's a faith that's in Him, that, that relies upon His goodness. His power and His wisdom, not upon the universe, not upon ourselves, but upon Him. And secondly, that faith gives us the eyes to see into the unrealm, unseen realm of God and His promises, which is the higher reality, not a lower reality. And so we see into the realm and we see the promises of God and faith holds on to that, not because of our strength, but because we just, I'm going to do whatever I can to hold on to God. Sometimes I need to hold on with my teeth because I can't keep grip anymore. But whatever I do, I'm not going to let go of God. And that's what God is calling us to in this time. And we do it even when we don't see the outcome in this life. You know, we, we went through a tough time, um, and, and many of you have, in seeing loved ones pass away over this time of COVID when you couldn't be with them, which, is, which just amplifies the difficulty of the situation. But actually, it's the same reality even if you can be with people. There are people that we love, that have got sick, that we pray for and contend for, and they don't get healed. And we kind of say, but God, I had faith. God, I was, I was believing for this healing. I was believing for the breakthrough to take place. And one thing I'm absolutely convinced of, of those that have gone on to be with God have been healed perfectly. Linda's mom is completely healed. There is no more cancer in her body. There is no more arthritis. There is no more anything. She is standing before the throne of God, celebrating and rejoicing in the, in, in the fullness of life that we were actually made for. We, we're living as if we're underwater here, people. The, the true life on land is still to come for us. Why did Abraham react so radically to God's command to go? In verse 10, it tells us, for he was looking forward to the city um, that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Verses 13 to 16, I love this. All these died not having received the things promised. You think to yourself, well, that doesn't make any sense because Abraham got the land and Abraham got the son. Didn't he receive what was promised? Um, I want to go and I'll answer that in a moment, but I want to go and read this. But having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, for people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. Verse 16, but as it is, they desire a better country, that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Michael Eaton, who was a, an incredible teacher who's gone on to this better country, said faith's ultimate vision is focused on the life beyond. You know, sometimes when you're looking at something here, but you're actually looking over there. My focus is at the back of the room, but I can see everything over here as I look out there. And these things are important, but the ultimate focus of my faith has to be the life beyond. And uh, to endure, to be able to endure, our, our greatest desire must be for the face-to-face -face intimacy that we will have in heaven one day. It must be for the glory that Christ has uh, stored up for us when we are in heaven one day. See, it wasn't the promised land as much as it was the land of the promise. It was pointing to something else. And Isaac wasn't the promised child as much as he was the child of the promise. God fulfills the, those faith steps in our lives to point us to something beyond that. And so it means that, that this thing that seems like so important, the answer to our prayers, so maybe, 
Maybe you're praying for healing in a, in a loved one, and the healing comes in, and you're like so grateful to God that they healed. But that's not what your faith is in. The, 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 the reality of our faith is that we look through that to what's beyond it like that, which is heaven. Um, and that city with foundations, Revelation 21 and verse 14, tells us actually is, is Jerusalem in heaven, that God has prepared a city for us. Isn't it amazing that we live actually for the life to come, not for this life? And so that means that when we face these trials and these tests, and sometimes, friends, you are going to face trials and tests that they're going to almost take you to the point, the breaking point. And if your focus is on this life, you probably will pull that rope and climb up again. But if your focus is on the life to come, you won't. The idea that we're not home yet is one that we actually have to keep in the forefront of our minds. And, uh, and I read a great story about a, a guy by the name of um, Henry C. Morrison. You won't know his name. He's, um, he's not famous for anything. He was a missionary that worked in Africa for almost 40 years, though. Didn't achieve extraordinary amount that we, we would write books about or anything like that. He was faithful in fulfilling the call of God upon his life. And the story goes that he got sick one day, and he, um, and he had to return home to America. And as Providence would have it, on the same boat that he was coming back to America on was, the, was President Teddy Roosevelt, who had gone to Africa on a hunting trip. And as they came into New York Harbor, there was this mass of people on the, on the quayside like this, this, this um, grand welcome home for Teddy Roosevelt as he came back from his hunting trip. And um, Henry Morrison writes that, that um, he was gripped by resentment because he said, God, after all these years of working out in the field, of serving you and serving the church, there's not one person here to welcome me home, not one person to thank me for what was done. And um, he says, then he heard a still small voice in his ear saying, you're not home yet. You're not home yet. And friends, there is a homecoming for us, those who will hold on to faith even when you don't see it here. Everything that you get deprived of in this life is promised to, to you in the life to come. Be faithful. I was, I'll finish with this. I was talking to um, my mom again the other day. I chat to her fairly often, obviously. And um, um, I love my dad. I truly do. I honor him in every way. But my dad was not the easiest man to be married with, uh, to be married to. And I think there were some times along the way where my mom might have been tempted to actually get divorced from my dad. Um, and uh, I think she would have even possibly had grounds to do it, you know. And she, she, she chose to be faithful to this man and to love him. And, and she loved him so and he loved her to this day. And uh, I, I said to my mom the other day, there are rewards in heaven for your faithfulness. Because she, we, she operated from a life of faith, not a life of, um, of unbelief. She knew that God was in control. And there, was a, there was a greater promise to come than even the promises that we have in this life. And everything we give up, every time you sow of your time or your talents or your treasures on behalf of the kingdom, there are rewards being built up in heaven. There's glory still to come for that. Why don't you stand with me, please? I'm going to invite Wayne up in a moment to do um, communion. But I do just want to pray over us this morning around the, what I've preached on faith. say this. Attending church doesn't save us. Even declaring with your mouth that I, I believe in Jesus and I trust in Jesus isn't what saves us. The Bible says it's by faith we receive our salvation. And our faith gets tested along the way. And sometimes you'll find 
you encounter a test and it reveals to you that you actually, your trust isn't in Jesus. You like the idea of church, you like the idea of Jesus, but you haven't come to the place where He is, where he is the one that you lean upon completely. Thank God for the tests in those moments, hey? Thank God for what it reveals in us that we go, actually, you know what? Actually, Lord, I, I've been playing games. I don't want to do that anymore. I want to I lean back. And, and either the rope holds me or I fall. Because that's what faith is. It's not keeping one foot up there and thinking, well, just in case this doesn't hold, I'll, I'll be able to get my way back up again. It's letting go. The faith of salvation is more like the bungee jump where you just step off. It's like the parachute. You step out of the airplane. And it's like this parachute doesn't take me. I'm done for. If this rope doesn't hold, I'm finished. But I believe it does hold, Lord. I believe that Jesus' work on the cross is enough. I believe that as, as, uh, as He died there in my place and, and, and uh, that He really did take my sins, the sins that I'm too ashamed to even mention, the sins I, I wish I could, I never even have to think about again, the sins that, that, I, that I've forgotten about, the sins that I think don't even matter, all of those sins were on you, Lord Jesus. I believe it. And I believe because you were perfect, that your sacrifice paid the penalty that my sins deserve, that you bore it all in your body so that I didn't have to. I believe it, Jesus. I believe it so much that I'm letting go and I'm trusting you only for my salvation. And I'm not, I'm not trying to save myself. I'm not trying to depend upon my works. I'm not trying to think like, like, like I'm going to find some way of getting it other than Jesus. I trust in you. And if that's you this morning, Wayne comes up and does the communion. I want you to put your faith in Jesus Christ in that way. When you take of that bread and you drink of that cup, that let that be a faith step for you today. For those of us that have trusted in Jesus, I believe that this is the season, friends, of fresh calling. I, I heard the word over the last couple of weeks, rebuilding. And I feel like God is beginning to rebuild. There are calls that have been like walls knocked down and God's rebuilding the walls of call upon your life. Some of you are, are damaged like those stones, burnt. And the enemy is saying, you can't build the walls with burnt stones. He's going to rebuild the walls in your lives. And I want to pray over you this morning. Father, we're so grateful that you've called us to a life of faith. Real faith, Lord. A faith that works. Faith that carries us through the most difficult of circumstances. That the more it's tested, the more refined it becomes. The more it's, it's proven worth shines out. And Lord, you're so right say to your servant Peter that it is more precious than gold. For what is the profit of man if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? What joy, Lord God, for I trust to be in you, the creator of the universe, the redeemer of all men. And Lord, I pray that you would lead us in the days that come, Lord God, to be men and women who live by faith. Faith that acts, Lord God, that's active, it's an action word. And faith that's, that endures the tests that come its way. And faith that looks forward to the promise, the ultimate promise of eternal life, of that better city, of that better country, Lord God. And I pray for those um, brothers and sisters of mine that are here tonight whose faith has, has been lagging at times like Sarah and Abraham's faith lagged. Maybe they've even stepped into um, surrogate promises or manufactured promises. Maybe they've laughed, Lord God, at the promises that you've, um, you've given them. But I thank you, Lord God, that you have the last laugh. Because Isaac means he laughed. You named him. You laughed. And you turn our laugh of disbelief into laughter of joy, of absolute joy, when the 
the promises come to pass. And I pray that you stir up your saints here this morning, Lord God. And for those who have a call upon their lives that have been putting it off, I pray for a season of radical obedience and radical trust. For, for those that have, that have found, think themselves um, finished, damaged goods, burnt stones, I pray that you remind them that those are the stones that you used to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem. The same walls that Jesus walked around, that Jesus walked in the midst of. And we thank you, Lord God, that you are not finished with us. And we say yes. And amen in Jesus Christ.